Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Welcome to the podcast of the Practice Manager webinar recorded on Wednesday, May the 12th. Right, I think everybody. I think we'll start. So, hello, everybody. Um, welcome to another one of our practice manager webinars that we do um, alternate Wednesdays at one o'clock. Um, it's lovely to have you joining us. Um, so, I'm going to hand straight over to Lisa Harding, who's going to give us um, a little introduction. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Louise. So, I'm going to kick off uh, with the inevitable COVID vaccination program update. Uh, so, just some facts and figures, maybe to start off with. So, um, as everybody's I'm sure aware we're still focusing on cohorts 1 to 10. We haven't started with cohort 11 yet. However, uh, they are still saying um, prioritise the most vulnerable first, but avoid vaccine wastage. So there is some local discretion, shall we say, in terms of that. Um, they, they do believe that 99% of deaths have occurred that have occurred um, from COVID were in the cohorts 1 to 9. So that's an interesting statistic. Um, in terms of um, subsequent phases, obviously, once they had reduced the death rates, they were then focusing on reducing transmission and vaccinating those at lower risk. Um, there is still the national um, target and we are still online to um, vaccinate everybody in cohorts 1 to 12 by the end of July this summer. Um, in terms of the next phase, phase three, uh, what we're hearing is that there will be an autumn booster for cohorts one to nine. Question mark, that may be Pfizer, but we don't know yet. Um, it is likely to be aligned with the flu vaccination programme. There is likely to be a two-dose vaccination programme for children aged 12 to 18 years. Again, question mark, that may be Pfizer, but we don't yet know. Um, and there will be steps to try and ensure protection against any new variants of concern. Just in terms of how, done, how well everybody has done so far, nationally 34 million people have had their first dose. So quite an amazing statistic really when you look at that. And um, Public Health England estimate that around 10,000 lives have been saved already. Um, and we're also already seeing sort of positives in terms of reducing the risk of infection, the risk of transmission, and of people developing severe COVID. So all going hopefully in the right way at last. Um, a few more facts and figures and just a couple of more updates on COVID and then I'll, I'll pass over. Um, as you might have seen, the JCVI have updated their guidance again regarding the 30 to 39 year olds. Um, they should be offered an alternative to AZ so long as there is no barrier to accessing the vaccine. Um, they're still saying that 18 to 29 year olds should be giving an alternative. The Green Book has been updated with this. Um, the national protocol and patient group directions for COVID um, vaccine AstraZeneca have been published um, and we'll put some links on our FAQs for people who want to have a look at those if you haven't done already. And the, the last little update really uh, from me on COVID is there's just a reminder that um, if you do get babies and children attending with their parents because their parents can't um, arrange childcare for them, they're saying please try and accommodate that, make reasonable um, steps to accommodate that wherever you can. Um, if you don't feel that's appropriate, you do need to risk assess with a senior cl clinician, but they are sort of saying try and accommodate them wherever you possibly can. Um, so that's just a really sort of whistle-stop update from me, and I think we're now going to hand over to Dawn. 
Lovely, thank you. So um, good afternoon, everybody. So I'm just going to chat to you a little bit about um, patients looking to uh, confirm their vaccination status for COVID-19. Um, um, as we know, um, lockdown is lifting and there's quite a lot of activity with patients looking to travel abroad again. So there is some helpful advice from the government on this. So we put together a resource for patients that you can use. Um, and you can see that on the slide in front of you. This is, um, but you can use in any format you like, uh, put it on your website, whatever. But this is based on national guidance. Um, and primarily, I think the most helpful thing about it is, it does say on the gov government website, do not contact your GP surgery. GPs cannot provide letters to show your COVID-19 vaccination status. So that's great. Um, having said all of that, um, here we are. Um, sorry, I can just see Jenny spotted a spelling mistake. Thank you, Jenny. We will put that right, of course. Um, there are three options for um, patients. They can either use a smartphone to download the NHS app they can use, if they don't have a smartphone, don't use a smartphone device. They can use their own home computers and use the NHS app online via their browser. And if they have absolutely nothing at all, that's fine. They still don't need to come to the GP. They can call 119. Um, anyway, that's all there in poster and leaflet form for you. Um, and like I say, to use in any format you would like. Um, we are also putting together another resource um, looking at the practice element of all of this, um, generally around the NHS app, because this will create uh, more people trying to download the NHS app, which we know from some practices has already um, become quite a, a workload issue. So we're looking at um, what that might um, cause problems with. And as soon as that's available, we will get that out um, to you via our usual channels as well. Was there anything else, Michelle, on that that I've missed? Um, I don't think you've missed anything. The only thing I would just add is around the lunch and learn. So we have a managing um, patient records lunch and learn. And I know that as a consequence of um, patients trying to get hold of their COVID vaccination status, a number of patients are requesting access to their online medical record, which actually, um, hopefully the information that uh, Dawn has pulled together will help with that. Um, but it was just to highlight that we are updating that particular lunch and learn to include the new contractual, um, the updated contractual position and also some guidance around um, uh, information uh, letters that come in from hospitals where there might be third party or sensitive information that you need to hide from the online record. So that will also be available shortly as well. Um, so I've just got a couple of things to update on. So the first thing is around shingles. Uh, the shingles immunisation programme, and it's for those patients who potentially may have missed this, the opportunity to have the vaccine because there's quite strict um, terms and an age range and when you can access this vaccine. So it's between 70 um, and uh, up to 80 years. So if they, would, if they were 80 during lockdown and they couldn't access it because of the pandemic or they were shielding, initially um, you could continue to vaccinate up to the 31st of March. Um, now it's been extended further, so you can do this up to the 31st of July. Uh, only just to highlight that actually because it's not included within the PGD, if you're giving this, um, the shingles vaccine in this way, you need to use a PSD for that. Um, 
Moving on from shingles, I'm going to talk a bit about Pneumovax. So at the last webinar, I did a bit of an update on the changes that are taking place with IMS and VAX and that this is now an essential service. And you may have already been made aware, and I think it may have come out in one of the, um, uh, a letter from the gov.uk, and it may have also been in an NHSE bulletin, that actually when you're ordering Pneumovax from, the, from June, that these will be centrally provided. You don't need to locally procure them. Um, if you've got any vaccines that, um, any new vax that you still have, you can, um, you, you're enc be encouraged to use it before the 1st of June, however, or, or soon after, and you can then put it through the, the processes around the FP34D. But just to be aware, you do not need to order Pneumovax any longer through your normal supplier. It's a centrally supplied vaccine. Um, and yeah, just to be aware of that, um, we're aware that uh, Pneumovax, there is some difficulties getting hold of, so you might not have any, any supplies anyway, um, but it's just to highlight that from the 1st of June, you need to order this in a different way. Um, also just want to talk a bit about DBS. So one of my colleagues, um, Marie, who manages and works on this for us, has highlighted there's been a change in guidance from the dbs.gov.uk. And it's highlighting the fact that from the 1st of June, any personal information, um, for example, applicant's current name, um, current address and the history that goes with that, we need to be really clear that that is information isn't going to change for the duration of the DBS. So when you're sending in an application, please could we ask that you think about for, for a two to six week period after the application's gone in, if there's gonna be any changes, maybe if they're getting married or they're moving house, or they might be changing their name by depot, that actually that's highlighted with the application. So as to avoid any duplication, because if there is any issues with this, um, unfortunately DBS will not take, will not accept the application and then we'll have to go through another process, which unfortunately is duplication and you may have to pay twice for this. So just to be mindful if there's any changes when you're putting in a DBS um, application. Finally, I think I'm just going to talk a bit about PCSE and the payments and pensions online portal. This is due to go live on the 1st of June. And I think in our last webinar, we mentioned about the YouTube and there's lots of resources that P PCSE have pulled together. Um, and it's just to highlight that it's worth having a look at the YouTube um, videos that they've got available. And also just to mention some of our PM supporters are looking at this as well. And as soon as we've got any information, we will share that with practices. And I think that was all that I needed to update on. Thanks, Michelle. Um, yes, and I was just going to say that we've got some messages to practice, which we've been sending out all the way through COVID to try and help you um, help with your comms to your patients. Um, so we're sending out a new one. I'll send it this afternoon. And this is just really to try and address the difficulties we know lots of you have been having about having your waiting room seemingly empty-ish and people not sit and not being able to go into the um the doors through through the doors of your surgery and sit in the waiting room as they always used to and we know you're getting lots and lots of complaints about that so we've tried to draft up some words that might be helpful for you about the fact that you're open for business but you have to obviously keep within the regulation the fact that triage is still um, um mandatory for you so We've just, we'll send out some information. Hopefully that'll be helpful. There's also a very good poster from the RCGP, which we'll send out a link to that you can print off and put on your surgery if that's helpful. Um, anything we can do on that front, obviously we will. Um, and um, yeah, I, I hope that's useful for you. Um, we're going to have a little section on CQC in a minute, uh, focus on CQC, but there's just one question that's come in, um, Michelle, I don't know whether you've seen that, about the app, um, the NHS app, 
Um, you can't use the app when under 13, which obviously isn't a problem for vaccine status at the moment, but will be in the future. Can we put any pressure on the people that are in charge of that to sort that out for um, ongoing the ongoing situation? So that's, I think, just for us to be aware of. And to, I think that's a really good point, actually. Yeah. Um, if um, vaccinations are going to start happening in the autumn for children, I think it's key that they can then prove that they've had that um, should they need to travel for whatever other purposes we can raise that and ensure that that's fed back nationally definitely okay thank you michelle um sue said do we know when and if we'll be we will open our doors as staff are asking as well as patients now i've done a little bit of work on this and i can't find anything to say shut your doors or open your doors it's all about keeping covid safe and keeping your patients safe keeping your staff taking social distancing and it's all about that um, unless one of my colleagues is going to contradict me um, I haven't found a door status information so I think it's entirely up to you Lisa did you want to come in on that I think it's still I mean essentially I think it's down to um, individual practices to risk assess the situation because clearly yeah. they'll all have different circumstances and your premises etc will make a big difference um, I think the under the, the thing to underline is that there is an expectation that that things will be done COVID securely, that that might be about triaging and undertaking things remotely, but that patients who need to be seen face to face will be seen. But there is some clinical discretion around that. And another question has come in, Lisa. Um, is there any information about whether or not it is expected that remote triaging will continue from June? Have we seen any anything um, that indicates that's going to stop? carry on whether it's going to be optional i, I, I look to my colleagues too but I, I think the expectation is that it will continue it's the new world that we're working on i think uh it's also important to be sort of mindful that within the contract documentation there is a commitment that patients will be able to access online video consultations or online consultations from april 21 I don't think we've seen that within the regulations yet, so it's not, it doesn't seem to be reflected in the regulations, but clearly it's something that um, nationally they're very keen to push. Thank you. Um, and obviously anything we see coming out about that, we will pass on because we know it's just something that's um, very pressing. Um, <laughs> just you might be interested to know that we're running um, a webinar on e-consult in a few weeks' time, and that's from Patients, some doctors who actually really like it and they feel they've got control of it and they find it's a very easy way to work and there's going to be two sides of the argument put forward. Um, but it might be helpful for um, some of you as well as some of the GSPs to um, dial into that um, just to see um, maybe there'll be some sort of hints and tips that you can pick up to make life a little bit easier. Um, we know the pressure is absolutely enormous at the moment. Um, there are no more questions for the moment, so I'm going to hand over to um, Helene, our esteemed practice nurse advisor. And um, so Helene's going to give us a fantastic little um, update on CQC. So I'm just going to disappear and share my screen and hand over to Helene. Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you very much, Louise. Um, we just thought it'd be helpful perhaps to just do a very um, brief update on the new remote regula regulatory assessments, rather a mouthful, um, that CQC are undertaking. Uh, this is a whistle-stop tour, so um, I can't promise that I've got all the answers, um, but obviously if there are any questions, then we can address them at a later stage. Um, I'm sure you'll be aware that from April 2021, the CQC um, announced that inspections are set to resume, certainly for newly registered practices. Uh, those practices that are rated inadequate and requires improvement, and practices which have uh, breached any regulations. 
We do have an updated section, by the way, on our website around the CQC Mythbusters because they seem at the moment to be updating them quite rapidly. Um, and so please access that. And for example, one of them that's come through is about GP curtains in practices. Um, interestingly enough, what they're saying is that what they're looking for in inspection is that the curtains were visibly clean. There was a system in place to ensure the curtains are cleaned or changed. Um, and the cleaning schedule and evidence of how you ensure that the uh, furniture and equipment is maintained. It is not mandatory to change or launder these curtains in general practice with any particular frequency. So again, please have a look at our um, Mythbusters. Some of you may already have experienced new inspection regime. And I say we'd be very keen to hear um, what your experience of you know, what that would actually look like. Um, and as part of the CQC offsite inspection um, with practice premises, the GP specialist advisors are undertaking remote access to clinical systems uh, to complete clinical searches, review clinical records and document the findings. Um, and from experience from other practices, this appears to be very, very in-depth um, and far more in-depth than when they did the previous uh, inspections. <coughs> and we'll go into that in a little bit more detail. Next slide, please. So the focus, you won't be surprised, is on safe, effective, and the quality of patient care, and obviously that incorporates uh, well-led. The purpose is to gather the majority of the evidence prior to the visit. Um, this reduces or potentially could remove the need for a site visit, um, certainly for the GP inspector, and refer therefore reduces the burden of a CQC inspection on the practice. Um, the aim is to use standardized templates and searches, um, and hopefully this will improve the quality and consistency of evidence that's collected which will support any enforcement um, if required. Um, in most cases, the majority of the evidence will be collected off-site through review of records, searches, emailing documents, um, and also um, video conferencing. Face-to-face -face inspections that have gone ahead tend to be um, on a half day. Often one inspector will be in the premises. Um, and COVID is certainly not considered to be a good reason for a practice not to have done something or not to maintain the, uh, the three areas above. So what can practice expect? Well, you should have a call from the inspector about one month in advance. Um, the, you will be asked as normal to send information to the inspectors. Um, the, you have to arrange remote access for somebody to undertake searches and calls will be arranged for staff, primarily GPs, um, yourselves as practice managers, nurses, and often the person from the uh, PPG. These tend to be quite in-depth and they can be um, of about an hour's duration. They can be very detailed, so the more preparation, then obviously the, the easier the process. Um, if the provider refuses access to allow the GP inspector to access the clinical system remotely, then what will tend to happen then is the GP's specialist advisor will be required to um, undertake the inspection um, actually on site. There is the emphasis and they're given very, very clear guidelines on um, what happens and you know, how much they can access. There's a big issue, a big, big emphasis on confidentiality. Um, they have to be done in a separate room. Any patient information is deducted. You can audit activity because you know when the uh, search has been undertaken and when they finished. They need to review enough records <coughs> so they're able to make a judgment about clinical care and record keeping. That's the emphasis. And if there are any issues, they may need to record uh, more records to obtain sufficient evidence and, and, and gather criteria. They also need to provide um, clarity on how significant any risk has been identified and what actual or potential harm has been or could be caused um, to the patient. 
I just wanted to bring this up because I think this is really important and might be helpful for you in practices because you could consider this and perhaps undertake some of the searches before you're in the situation that you can be expected um, an inspection. What they're looking at is how effectively the practice monitors patients on high-risk drugs and insurance action is taken on receipt of drug safety alerts. They're very much looking at reviewing of prescribing very generally, including medication reviews, and identification of patients who have not got conditions appropriately diagnosed as well. So, for example, um, a patient who may present who had a misdiagnosis, somebody's had a raised HbA1c and there's been no diagnosis of diabetes or follow-up. They're also checking how the practice documents and reviews CARES plans. Also, how practices refute, re response to MHRA and drug safety alerts, um, and also um, examples of some older alerts to demonstrate that information from these has resulted in ongoing change to the practice. They look quite in depth at medication and prescribing to see if there are any concerns. Blood, blood results they can't tend to our, um, access through the searches, but what they may ask you to do is to provide evidence of any documentation um, on ICE when last latest required monitoring bloods were done, undertaken, and if not, sometimes they'll ask you to provide a screenshot of these. They also want to ensure that all clinical staff are adhering to uh, national guidelines. So, you know, what's BNF, what's in NICE, and also the specialist pharmacy services, and also whatever local governance is in place. They are still focusing on the Chloe's, you won't be surprised about that. Um, they're looking at reviewing five patient records from each of the searches, and obviously determine there are any risks and severity of any risk. Um, safeguarding, as usual, they check the registers are accurate and up to date. Uh, review patients' notes to check for alerts, household contacts, coding, management, any DNAs, how that's been followed up, etc. Um, looking at the DNA CPR, um, the CQC produced a national report in March 2021 and found worrying variation in people's experiences of do not attempt um, CPR, particularly during the pandemic. There were some examples of good practice, but they've also heard from people who are not properly involved in decisions or unaware that important decisions being made about their care. So it's very much about um, who made the decision when and the location that decision was made, was it in the practice, the patient's home, for example, or a care home? What was the decision based on, ensuring there's no discrimination in terms of mental capacity or learning disabilities, etc.? And um, if the discussion was recorded, who was present and also any review date that's been established. In addition, um, they will also be looking at the records of five of the two following categories, which is learning disabilities, um, those patients diagnosed with mental health, long-term conditions, palliative care, and also carers. Significant events. You won't be surprised that this is an area that continue to explore. We all know the importance of the learning from significant events. Um, some of the quality improvement activities and certainly anything that's been improved since the last inspection. Management of deteriorating patient and sepsis. It's important that all staff are um, updated on the management of this. And obviously we have a lunch and learn on that. Communication and work with other agencies and providers, again, really, really important when you're looking at safeguarding and your um, safeguarding data and records. Follow-up and monitoring and review of patients and who does this, um, and consent um, and some governance arrangements. What they're also looking at is poor consultation, so inadequate history taking, not recording red flags or sufficient detail, 
um, inadequate examinations, not recording examinations or ranging through further examinations and sufficient findings. Um, and inadequate management plans, inappropriate lack of investigations or referral, no safety netting, et cetera, or follow up. And poor care and treatment of patients with prescribing errors um, and inappropriate prescribing. Supervision is really, really hot at the moment. It's the, um, it's the flavor of the month. And they are particularly looking around supervision for non-medical prescribers. So it's worth considering that within your practice if it's not in place. The other thing is to ensure that the competency and capability of your staff, um, that they are competent to undertake the role. <coughs> They're up to date with their training, obviously. And you may be aware, interestingly, that um, only a few weeks ago, a case was taken to the NMC where a newly qualified practice nurse um, had seen 12 patients um, looking at foot care for diabetic patients. And there were quite considerable errors and um, lacking poor quality care. When this was taken to the NMC, the NMC actually decided that this was a misconduct um, and um, she was given an 18-month conditions on practice. But the practice themselves were heavily criticised for not ensuring that that nurse was suitably qualified and trained to undertake in, um, that particular activity. The nurse in her defence apparently said that she had approached the practice and she wanted to have further training and this was actually denied. So I think that's really, really important to, to recognise. Um, I think the important thing from here, and there may be some questions in the, in the, the Q&A box, I've not looked at those really, but if there are any practices that have had um, a real life experience of one of these um, inspections, I think it's really good to share the learning from that and what it was actually like for practices um, themselves. All I would say is that they seem to be um, looking at things in far more depth, a lot more detail. Um, it's very, very involved. Um, people have said the um, consult, you know, the conversations are very, very in depth. Um, and I think the more preparation you can have in place, then the easier the process. Um, if we can help in any tool at all in any way, please get back to us at the office and obviously one of us will be in contact. Thank you. So just the last thing, um, you may be aware because there's been so much publicity um, on the radio and the TVs at the moment that today is the International Nurses Day. Um, the reason they've chosen May, in fact, it's been Nurses Week, May the 6th to the 12th. And the reason they've chosen International Nurses Day is because it also falls with Florence Nightingale's uh, birthday. I think everybody acknowledged that this year um, nurses have had to really stand up to the mark with the COVID crisis. I think it showed that nurses um, can adapt and change. They can take on new roles and responsibilities. Uh, many nurses have actually continued to have face-to-face -face contact with patients. I know some have been involved with telephone triage and video consultations, but on the whole, they have maintained that face-to-face -face contact. Many have put them themselves in potential situations of risk. They know they balance supporting um, patients, their family members, colleagues, um, and then having to go home and support family members and, and friends as well. So I just think it's worth today just reflecting on the important role that nurses have, um, and maybe not just for today, but for every day. Um, so thank you very much. Thank you, Helene. That was um, really interesting, very useful, and um, it's nice to be able to celebrate National Nurses Day. And congratulations to the nurse on the panel. Um, there are a few questions um, that have come in on CQC. 
um, someone who has an inspection in June has it over three days and they're saying this will be the new format for inspection. One day will be Teams interview. The second day will be a GP specialist advisor accessing the clinical system and speaking to a GP. And the third day will be a meeting with the practice manager from the main inspector. And the comment is just scary. That feels just quite heavy. Is, is that typically what's going to happen now? Practices across the country, that seems to be the format. And I think it is really, really in-depth. I think the issue with them taking stuff away is they have time, a lot more time to go into the notes and review the notes. Um, but again, if we can be of any help, please get back to us and we can support you in perhaps addressing some of the issues that will be raised. Um, and prior preparation, we all know, you know, prevents poor performance as they say. So please get back to us and we, we will help where we can. Yes, we, we can try and help when you know it's coming during it and after it. Um, and also, if you're happy to share any experiences, as you all know, that will also help your colleagues um, of any good, good and bad. Um, you know, it's constructive, isn't it? The more experience we have. Um, and we're very, very fortunate to have Helene on board with us and um, was able to share that. What I will do at the end of the, not the end of the session, please don't quote me on that, but I will do it over the next few days is what I'll do is I'll transfer some of the information from the slides into a different format as a sort of a, perhaps an FAQ section or a top tips, because um, we've already got a lot of information on our website about, you know, how to prepare for an inspection. So I'll add that to it if that will help. And um, we'll put it on the website. We'll let you know when it's updated and then you can access it. Absolutely. We'll put this PowerPoint too. So if you just want to use the basic slides as they are to share with your team, you'd be more than welcome. Um, there are a few more questions, Helene, don't go anywhere. Um, are we able to have a copy of the searches that CQC use? From previous experience with searches like this, the searches are not always accurate and therefore they may come across an inaccurate result depending on what software they're using to find the information. I think you will have a copy. You'll be able to audit the searches they've undertaken. So you could go back on those and reflect on those. And if you think there's any discrepancy, then obviously you can take that on board and say, we can update information. Sometimes what they will also say to you is if they haven't got enough information, they may come back to you and say, can you provide additional information on this? I'm very happy to share um, the sort of the, the key topics, if you like, that they are looking at in depth um, with examples of, what they're expecting but I think for example if you're managing a patient with diabetes or whatever they're nice and BNF have clear guidelines of the process and what you should be doing and you may have some local guidelines as well so just make sure make sure that you're familiar with those and you sort of marry those up but I'm very happy to try and compose a list to show the typical things that they will be looking at particularly the higher risk drugs there's also you know sort of things um drug combinations they're looking at as well um and Things like prescriptions. So, for example, why has this particular patient had um, a number of inhalers prescribed over the last month, off the last 12 months? Um, it tends to be a random sample they're doing, by the way, um, but it may be worth you looking at those high risk people that keep coming in for those sort of frequent prescriptions. Thank you, Helene. Um, finally, just a comment that CQC have had a lot of time over the past year. We've had a definite lack of it. Um, that's not news to you, Helene, but if that can be passed up to CQC in any way, be, I'm sure they're aware of it. But Yeah, so. they are very, very aware of that. Um, they obviously have not been doing um, many, if any, face-to-face -face, um, uh, visits. They have been doing some. They, again, I would stress that they are very much looking at competencies of staff. Thank you, Helene. I think it might be helpful. I don't think we mentioned it at the start about your role with CQC, Helene. It might be helpful just for people to know what you do within our patch and what you do outside our patch. Um, so I am a 
a specialist nurse advisor with CQC. I haven't done any visits, obviously, for some time because um, they've not been undertaken. Um, but what I do, what I am lucky enough to do is I tend to get, but well, I do get regular updates from the CQC via the specialist advisors um, network. Um, and I can access some of their webinars, hence why I've got some of this information. So it's a bit of inside information, I think. Um, and I don't think that's, I think it's fair to, to share that with practices because we all want to ensure you know, most practices are working to their very best ability and working really, really well and will meet all the criteria. I just think it's very stressful when suddenly it's announced this is going to happen in a month's time. And that's why the purpose of doing this is to ensure that people are aware and you can have some preparations and planning for it because it reduces the stress levels. Because you don't inspect within our Wessex LMC's patch, no. do you? But you inspect no. outside no. the patch. But just so from within our patch, Helene can advise on what people are looking for um, and help. But um, she won't be your inspector on the day, which is a shame, actually, because she'd be really fair and really good. But there we go. Um, and there's just something about bank holidays for nurses. And I actually am not aware of this. So I don't know whether one of my colleagues can help. Staff are asking our practice if they'll be having the extra bank holiday the hospital NHS staff are getting. It seems some hospitals are doing this, but not all. Can you advise on it? I don't know if anybody knows anything more about this. Lisa, Michelle, have you got any knowledge? I don't think we do. I don't think we've seen anything. I suspect it might be encouraged back down to individual practice discretion. But I think what we'll do is double check with BMA um, just to make sure we can put something out um, because I don't think we're cited on that. Lovely. Thank you. Um, one more for you, um, Helene. Is, are the nurse competence framework we can use prior to CQC? So nurse competences frameworks. Um, so there is the... Um, NCP framework for nurses in general practice, which was produced by Skills for Health, well, about 18 months ago. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to be um, sitting on the, um, the, 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 the board, if you like, that was looking at competency framework for general practice nurses. That has been paused. Um, we were hoping that was going to be published in March, then obviously because of COVID, so it's been delayed. The RCGP produced some competency competencies and if you go onto our website under the nurses section um, you will you should find the information that you require underneath that Brilliant. but if you don't if you email me then I will direct you to the right signpost you to the right place we'll put the link um, on our FAQs from this webinar so you can find it there as well and I've just been asked to um, share some more information on the e-consult webinar that I sort of meant, had gave a flying mention to early on so I'm just looking at my phone here because I, I can't screen share and look at the um, website on the same time on my laptop um, so it's Wednesday the 26th of May and it's from 7 till 8 in the evening Two GPs are going to be talking about maximising e-consult efficiency, snapshot of current working model and the practice of about 17,000, future of how e-consult can fit into your PCN. And one of the GPs is talking about the concept of a pre-consult concept of pod working. How does it, all of this fit in with e-consultations and how can you make e-consultations work for you to improve patient feedback and workload sustainability? So I think that could be really useful. If you're not free or your staff aren't free, 7 till 8 on Wednesday, 26th of May, then we will be recording it. Um, there is a very small fee attached to it, which is £12.50. Um, and um, so as I say, encourage your GPs or yourselves to listen and engage in that and obviously if you're if you're watching and engaging live you can ask questions and um, but we will be um there will be a, an ability to watch that afterwards if that would be helpful and um, we've got some interesting um interesting opinions on e-consult 
lots and lots of people saying it's very difficult. Some people are saying, actually, he's given us more control and we really quite like it. And we've got some practice managers that have been saying that. So we might share that actually on one of these Wednesday um, lunchtime sessions, which might be useful for you to get a little bit more feedback on that. Um, I see another questions come in as I've been talking. Um, just This is just about the holiday we were talking about. Doctors have a similar extra day in their allowance. The model salary GP contract has an extra bank holiday in their leave allowance. Oh, I never gave my salary doctor that I didn't didn't even know that was a thing it's so there we go so there's um I don't know whether anybody else could their GPs an extra bank holiday allowance does anybody else do that the salaried model contract there is uh, their NHS days I think they're called two NHS days on top of the um the normal uh holiday allowance oh. so I think whoever's mentioned that is that's correct but we need to just clarify about this new additional one that's fine so we will talk um Oh, there's lots of comments now about that. Um, okay, there's also about the retainer's contract. There's, um, if you're a retainer, you have to give it to them. So there's obviously different things and just yeah, look in the contract is going to be the answer with that sort of thing, isn't it? And obviously if there's an extra discretionary one, I guess if it's called, a, I'm not even going to offer my opinion because I don't know. I will leave that. Um, I think that's all the questions. Um, thank you very much, particularly to Helene. That's been really useful today. And as we promised last time, we're going to try and do a little focus on various different things. Sounds like e-consult might be a useful one. If you've got any ideas that you'd like us to focus on, please let us know. Um, but thank you to Lisa and Dawn, Michelle and Helene. Um, and we will see you again next time. Thank you. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. 